In the last 18 months, perhaps more than all the other times across the three decades that I've been a pastor, across the last 18 months, I've had two kinds of comments. Your sermons have gotten too political. Or your sermons aren't political enough. I certainly work hard to make my servants relevant and engaged with our lives and our times. But I also don't ever want my preaching to be mostly responsive or worse, reactive, like to the latest tweet or some incident in the news cycle. But today, on this first Sunday of Advent, new colors, new wreath, new banners, when the church launches into a new year, I feel pulled again into the heartaches and the ever-troubling circumstances of these days. Curiously, as we heard in that anthem, Advent always begins with this call to wake up, to come out of the darkness, to pay attention, to rejoice, to be ready. Advent tries to change our focus. Advent also, curiously, always begins in the darkness, leaving us gazing and wondering where we might find God. The church year begins with us kind of huddled inside. It's kind of chilly in here, right? It leaves us huddled in this season, looking to the warmth of lamps and to some light that might emerge in our lives. How does it get so dark in these days so fast? That's what we ask. And it's not just the darkness of the world. It's not just the darkness because the days are shorter. It's the darkness that we carry around. And it's the darkness that's around our lives. The doubts that fill our hearts. The discouragement that takes over. The despair that creeps in and stays too close to us. The dis-ease that we feel about life and the world. Just this week, we keep hearing about the turmoil at the southern border. Tear gas. Chaos. Legalities, hard hearts. You know, we're a big country and we have big wealth and we have big plans of our role in the world. But the signs from the southern border make me wonder about the size of our heart. Fear, insecurity, politics, they can lead us so quickly from those better images of ourselves as a nation as a people of compassion, as a people of generosity. We just leave that behind. Who are we? What do we stand for? Just this week, we learned once again the serious threats of climate change and our stressed-out ecosystem. Can we really ignore? Can we deny the data and be faithful, be good stewards of God's creation? Can we? There's so many tensions that are lurking around. we got Russia and Crimea. We've got the U.S. and China. 
We've got Iran and the rest of the world, all of which could ignite some situation that becomes really dangerous for a lot of people. And then there are these economic issues that keep surrounding us, interest rates, slow markets, the complexities of Brexit, tariffs, and more. And then, and then we all have our own personal challenges. Serious struggles. Maybe it's a new cancer diagnosis. Maybe for you it's a new low for yourself or a loved one. Maybe it's a new dead end in a relationship or a dead end on a treatment plan that you were so hopeful about or a dead end on a job possibility or something else. These are serious issues. They get inside us. They stay next to us. They create challenges for us. Could things get worse, we might even say. None of this is really new for human life. It's not. We know this. Serious struggles, deep heartaches, threats to our life and living, they are part of human life. There have always been comparable times of disruption, of heartache, through the ages, when people wonder, what in earth or heaven is going on? How in the heck do we get out of this? But whatever the occasion, whatever the size, whatever the trouble, troubles demand that we pay attention. In one particular season of life, long ago, the troubles might have been far worse than today. I'm talking about the year 590 to 580 before Christ, before the common era, B.C. or B.C.E. This is more than 2,600 years ago. And I'm talking about the region of Judah, that area around Jerusalem. It's under siege. During that time, a certain prophet named Jeremiah was called forth by God to speak about God's presence, to proclaim God's promises, to declare God's faithfulness, and to call from forth from the people life and faith from them. Jeremiah was in the middle of the mess. Jeremiah was praying and preaching. Jeremiah was struggling and striving right alongside the people. Jeremiah was speaking with courage and crying with real tears. It's all through his book. What was happening in and around Jerusalem at this time the center, for the center of God's people, the Hebrews? What's happening? Well, the Babylonians, this emerging power from the east, strong and Confident they were coming, and they did come to sack the kingdom, to destroy the temple, to kill the king, to destroy all that God's people had worked for for so long. Here's what scholar and teacher Walter Brueggemann says about that particular time. The destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. at the hands of the Babylonians constituted the defining experience of ancient Israel given in the Old Testament. 
This was the supreme and social and therefore religious catastrophe. What happened then and there destroyed everything about life, destroyed every aspect of life as the people knew it. So why was this happening? Why is this happening to God's people in this particular era? Jeremiah the prophet answers the question in his book because the people drifted away from the core values of worshiping and serving God. The people drifted away from loving their neighbor. The people drifted away from caring for each other. All through the first half of the book of Jeremiah, the prophet conveys that God is furious with the people. They have reneged on the covenant, this covenant that, that God established. Instead of turning in compassion and care toward the world, they turned inward in selfishness. Instead of helping others, they helped themselves. None of the leaders, none of the people wanted to hear any of this. They were not interested in building an ethical community. They were interested in their own comfort and their own position. Their desire to maintain their own power and their influence trumped everything else. So no wonder God became frustrated with them and no wonder God's people became vulnerable to the Babylonians. And by the time we get to Jeremiah 33, guess what? The worst was not just going to happen. Maybe the worst has happened. It has happened. When the prophet speaks in chapter 33, Babylon's armies are invading the land with an efficient brutality. When we get to Jeremiah 33, the sounds of war and the scenes of death are the backdrop of his words. Indeed, it's so bad that Jeremiah has shifted his message shifted his message to imagine something totally new that the people could not even think about, covered up by brutality and war and desolation, totally different. He shifts his message to talk about hope, hope and renewal. So let's hear this message from Jeremiah 33 on this first Sunday of Advent. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is your righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. It's only when the way of life that bankrupted the people in Judah, that bankrupted them ethically and physically, it's only when all of that is raised to the ground that Jeremiah can begin to imagine a way forward. And then to paint this picture of this vision of restoration, Jeremiah picks up an image used in other parts of Scripture. He doesn't reject government because government has messed up so royally. Rather, he re-envisions it in a radically new guise with the old forms of life totally destroyed in front of him. 
the prophet looks out on the wasted landscape and speaking God's word, he begins to fill it with, with beauty, with hope, with peace, with images of wholeness. In those days, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The images of life after disaster are not overblown with glitter and gold and celebration. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of the brutality, in the midst of the desolation, Jeremiah preaches that there's going to be a promise, the promise of God in all the mess, a new beginning. In the waste, he sees an opportunity for a fresh start, a righteous branch pruned from a dying tree, replanted by God, will mark the tentative start for a new people. And then there's more to this vision, a lot more. A leader who is defined by righteousness from the inside out, righteousness from the inside out will be at the center of the restored community. This leader is radical not because of something that's not ever been imagined. It's radical because the leader is doing what the leader is supposed to do. He rules not in service to himself, not in service to securing power, not in service to prestige, but for the good of others. And then this city under this new king will be so secure, so safe, not just for a few, but for everyone, so radically changed that it will need a new name. The Lord is your righteousness. That's the new name. The Lord is our righteousness. The new name. Imagine that. Imagine that. Out of a mess like we can't even think about, including the worst things that could happen to any people, the loss of everything, Jeremiah says, God will not desert the people. In fact, God will cause a branch to spring forth from the desolation who will execute justice and righteousness. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Righteousness. Wow. Righteousness. You haven't got it right. That's what the piano teacher said, exasperated with the piano student. Junior is holding his hands the way he was told. His fingering on the keys is unexceptional. He has memorized the piece perfectly. He's hit all the proper notes with deadly accuracy. But his heart is not in it, just his fingers. And what he's playing is the sort of music... Sort of music, but nothing that will start voices to sing and feet to tap. And he succeeded in boring everyone, including himself. Righteousness is getting it right. See, if you play it the way it's supposed to be played, there wouldn't be a foot that's not tapping. A voice that's not singing. Righteousness is the state of being in the right. In the right. And this word appears 500 times in the Old Testament. 225 times in the New Testament. 
Righteousness is what God intends for us to get it right with our hearts and our whole selves and it be pervasive everywhere. Righteousness is what God wants for us and for the whole world. Righteousness is what the kingdom of God looks like. Righteousness has to do with things as they should be. Compassion prevails. Equity, justice, establish, kindness, shalom, everywhere. Righteousness. Everything is right. The fullness of God, the peace of God, the wholeness of God. No more tears. No more tear gas. No more posturing for power. No more terror. No more groaning under creation, longing to be set free. No more worrying about some issue, some heartache. No more waiting for test results. No more worries about the disease across the globe. Justice, righteousness, hope, light everywhere. Hope, the candle of hope. A branch shall bring forth new growth, God's growth, righteousness. And it's so awesome, it gets a new name. The Lord is our righteousness. That's the new name. Everything is right. Imagine that. Imagine that. So when early Christians encountered Jesus, they said, that's the fulfillment of this prophecy. He's come to bring about the kingdom of God. Forgiveness, wholeness, life, light everywhere. Jesus brings the reign of God. The old structures, the oppression, the persecution, the struggles, the injustice, they're all going to fall away. And we have new creation. For Jeremiah, this image of the righteous branch, justice, righteousness, spring forth from the ground and it leads to abundant life for everyone. Imagine that. As we move into this Advent season, even with all the swirling discouragement, even with all the dis-ease about our lives, about the world, we're invited to lift our gaze, lift our gaze to God. God will not desert us. That's the promise. Not desert you or you or me or anyone. That's the promise. God is never out of the picture. That's the promise. In the face of desolation, that's Jeremiah's message. God's never out of the picture. No matter what is beating us down or weighing heavy on our hearts, Jeremiah says, this is the name The Lord is our righteousness. That's the name. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. What if we said it? Say it. The Lord is our righteousness. Say it again. The Lord is our righteousness. It's a reminder that God does not ever lose heart with us. The God never deserts us. It's a reminder that we live with hope no matter what. The Lord is our righteousness. 
It's also a reminder that we can't simply sit around and wait for God. God calls us to be a part of this new creation with how we live our lives. We're to be motivated with what we do today, tomorrow, the next day. With the little things in our lives and the big things in our lives, we're motivated to be God's servant people working for justice, spreading kindness, promoting love and peace because the Lord is our righteousness. Say it again. The Lord is our righteousness. God will make things right. And as God's people, we're to participate with God in this promoting of righteousness everywhere, always. So we gather now around this Lord's table and we partake of this Lord's supper and we think the Lord is our righteousness. We're fed with strength here. We're we're fed with faith here so we can live as righteous people. We're fed so that we can have courage with the circumstances that are ours. And in the world that we live in these days, we're fed with this meal for the work that is ours because the Lord is our righteousness God make things, makes things right, and God will make all things right. And this is what shapes our hope, and this is what shapes our life, because we can't just take the short view. We take the long view, and the Lord is our righteousness. We take the long view, and we keep remembering, no matter the wasteland, no matter the heartache, no matter the loss or the chaos, God doesn't desert us. We keep our gaze on God and we focus our lives and our days as God's people living and serving because the Lord is our righteousness. May it be so. May we be so inspired to live and serve today, tomorrow, forever. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we believe. We do. Help our unbelief and fill us with faith and hope. Yes, hope. Amen.